Now, the Buckeye Extra Podcast with Rob Aller, Bill Rabinowitz, and Joey Kaufman from the Columbus Dispatch. Hello, Buckeye fans. Welcome back to the Buckeye Extra Football Podcast. This is Joey Kaufman. I'm joined, as always, by Bill Rabinowitz and Rob Aller. It's Sunday, and we're breaking down the latest Buckeye beatdown. Ohio State beat up on Rutgers 49-10, to a game that was otherwise, I think, largely unmemorable, save for Mayan Williams and some late-game sideline interactions. Yeah, this actually was, I think, less than the usual beatdown. 39 points is, I think, under what Ohio State is, has traditionally beaten Rutgers by. They've never had a close game. The closest was 22, 22 points a couple years ago, and even that wasn't really close. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was not C.J. Stroud's best day. Rutgers made a point of gearing their defense towards stopping the, the explosive passing game. You know, threw for 154 yards, threw two touchdowns, one interception. Uh, but, yeah, mine wins five touchdowns. They were all short except for the 70-yarder in the third quarter. But this was never in doubt, even when Rutgers took a 7-0 lead after a, after a Mecca-Buka muffed a punt. This – was there any concern at all that, you know, Ohio State would, would uh, assert its superiority? I don't I don't think you had a companion game story that you were writing at the time about an Ohio State loss and on that, that muff pump by Mecca Buka at all spiraled. I don't think you ever got to, to writing that one. No, uh, the, sometimes, especially in games I anticipate that will be close, so I'll have an Ohio State win story on one screen and Ohio State lose a story on another screen. And I'll go back and forth. That was there was no need for that yesterday. I'm just up. I'm just bummed that uh, the sideline melee did not happen in the first quarter because then I could have prepared for that and pivoted. Uh, it's all about the it's all about the story. The nerve of those and guys. Instead, it was late, which you know, that's just how it goes. That was the highlight. That was a highlight or low light, if you want to call it that, of the of the game. Really? I mean, should my, we delve? Should we delve into that now, or, or go yeah, to the game? Well, yeah, yeah. Don't bury the lead. That was the lead. Um, you know, in looking at it again, thinking about the whole thing, uh, it, it shows just two competitive guys. But you know, Greg Schiano coming all the way across the field. It'll be interesting to see any fines or anything that happens because um, if he doesn't come across the field then this doesn't happen in terms of the inner, obviously the shouting match and the finger pointing. And he, he was running across the field. He got there. He got there fast, man. He ran the four. He he ran the, uh, whatever that is. What is it across? 50 something yards. 50 some yards. Yeah. He, he made it there pretty quick. And uh, Joe, you want to, why don't you fill in on what happened for those who are, you know, living under a rock. Yeah, I'm assuming most people listening to this podcast have seen what happened, but the, the Cliff Notes version would be Rutgers sold out to try to block a punt in the fourth quarter, down 49-10. to 10. Jesse Murko, the, the punter for Ohio State, rolls to his right like he's going to punt, and he actually starts his punting motion as if he's prepared to kick the ball downfield. And then he stops and, and takes off running for a first down. He gets out of bounds pretty safely until the Rutgers returner 
lowers his shoulder, knocks him out of bounds, and Mitch Rossi and a bunch of Ohio State players come come in and, and, and surround him. Flags flags fly as soon as the hit happens. Greg Schiano comes over, and then Ryan Day is pointing at Greg Schiano, and Greg Schiano is pointing back, and they're saying all sorts of colorful language that it's a shame they weren't mic'd up to hear, but that's uh, that's pretty much it. It seemed like the confusion maybe at the time, and and, and Rob, I think you asked this to, to Ryan Day post game, and he said that, that he thought Schiano came over largely to defend his player, but it seemed like in the moment maybe – some of the the passions were really high because Rutgers maybe thought Ohio State was doing a trick play in response to all the, the gimmicks that, that Rutgers has done over the years by calling a fake punt, which we learned afterwards was not the case. Jesse Murko just took off running like a football player. Yeah, and, and what's interesting, I, I had no issue with Chiara running across the field. He was, he was concerned about his player's safety, and he was – uh, Aaron Cookshank was surrounded by Ohio State players on the Ohio State sideline, so I, I, had, I had no issue with that. Uh, it would have been weird if he had stayed on the Rutgers sideline, honestly. I don't think so. I, I'm gonna have to push back against that. That's he's it's like you don't leave the bench, you know. Yeah, you, you, that you, situation you, 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 that you set yourself right in there. What do they think they're gonna do? Murder the guy over there, you know? No, but they can the, throw punches, I, they can do whatever. Let's put it this way, he escalated. The situation for sure by by do by running across the field. Uh, I, I don't know if I've ever seen that honestly. A, a coach coming all the way across and then sort of, I just haven't seen it. Well, I, I don't I don't have an issue with that because I think it's just the natural human instinct to go protect your your own. So uh, my issue with Shiano and I wrote about this in analysis uh, that's at dispatch.com now. Is you know, Shiano has a history of this kind of stuff. I mean, when he was coaching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he uh, the Giants were up by a touchdown with 30 seconds to go. Eli Manning kneels down, and the Buccaneers blitz and knock him on his butt. And obviously, people took issue with that. He was unapologetic after the game. He, he said, you know, as long as there was a chance to win the game, we're going to do it. And uh, but the you know, it was 49-10. Yesterday, what's he doing? Putting on a full punt block with nine and a half minutes to go in a, in the game. And if that's the case, if you're going to do that, then don't take offense if somebody takes advantage of that, exploits the opening that you've given them. I mean, there was nobody on that side of the field. Jesse Murko, who first of all is Australian, he didn't kind of grow up with American football and probably doesn't know like the unwritten rules, supposedly unwritten rules of the game, like don't rub it in and don't, you know. You don't think they have sportsmanship in Australia? Uh, well, it's a different sport. I mean, it's also, I don't know what the Australian rules football etiquette is or unwritten rules are. I have no idea. But he, the point is, there was a split-second decision. He's about to punt. He starts his punting yeah. motion. He's nothing in front of him, thinks, what the hell, <laughs> and takes off. And he but, stepped but, out of but Chiano, Bill Chiano had no, it took no issue with that. that no, no, wasn't... at the time, right? Nobody did. The, the issue was that Chiano was worried said, that. Yeah, but you said you didn't care. It didn't bother you that he came across the field. So, no. what, what's your issue with Chiano? In that, that he would call, that, that he would that call that a punt block. That he would call a punt block in the first place, down forty nine ten. Down yeah, forty nine ten. Just play the rest of the game. Get out of there safely. I get that, but that has that, that has nothing to do with the with the the melee. 
Well, it does, because if they don't put the punt block on and just have a normal punt, Jesse Merkel doesn't take off. They have that side of the field defended. Yeah, well, I'm not sure one plus one equals two here, but I I hear I know what you're saying. Shiano has done this type of stuff before, but in this situation, uh, I'm not sure that's what bothered me is just a guy runs across the field. So, you know, whatever. Everybody's going to have their own take on this. This is which, which is right. Great. And look, this is an Ohio State Rutgers game. It's not a whole lot to talk about. So, this <laughs> is right. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, there is not that there's a contentious history between these coaches, but there is a history between these coaches. You know, 2018, when Urban Meyer got suspended, people thought that it would be Shiano or maybe Kevin Wilson who would be appointed the acting coach. Well, it was Ryan Day. That's who Gene Smith appointed. And then when Day gets the job permanently at the end of the year, he doesn't keep Shiano. And again, I don't know that Chiano was clamoring to stay. I don't think he was. But could, but uh, day after the way that the 2018 defense struggled, was not inclined to keep Chiano. So they've always talked with a lot of respect toward uh, with toward each other. So I don't think there's any personal friction. But there is a, there is that shared history. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with any of it. I guess I thought it was entertaining, and for <laughs> it largely lacked entertainment. Uh, I'm with you there. Bloodthirsty Joey Kaufman. Bloodthirsty Joey Kaufman. I'm with you there, Joe. The the game was a snoozer. It was was close to being a dud. I mean, Mayan Williams, but other than the long run, you know, we've we've been so conditioned that that we're pass happy, even as fans and witnesses, that the running game is, I mean, yeah, it's, it's not like he's Barry Sanders out there like doing some jukes that are like just blowing you away. He's very good, but he's just kind of, a, he's just a very good back, but. I, yeah, that, I mean, that was really the only, I think thing that would, if you, if you were paying a scalper to get into the stadium, my Williams day, other than the, the late skirmish was about the one thing I think that would uh, get your juices flowing. And the whole thing, I, it was fun. It was entertaining, but in reality, it was one late hit and, and people yelling things at each other and, and swear words and a bunch of language that we can't use on this podcast. Most likely, I don't think it was like a black mark for any any of the coaches or their 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 programs. I think it's a dust up and and largely fine. And I think if coaches have things to say to each other, they should they should maybe they should do it more often. It'd be fun, but. Yeah. Uh, it's fine. It's. Uh, I think it could have gotten worse. Certainly, um, if players had taken helmets off or were swinging those, or, or somebody was really right. at anybody. But it was largely, I guess, what I call a basketball fight, where it feels like there's always they're just you get a bunch of broad shoulders guys in a, a circle and they're kind of puffing their chests and n- nothing really happens. Nobody's taking a swing at anybody. It's like a Vandal Industries game, is what you're saying. I can't say I've ever uh, taken one in of, of of those guys. Yeah, it can get pretty heated. It can get pretty heated. I'm I'm a peacemaker out there. I'm a Lady Bing kind of guy. But uh, <laughs> getting back to the game for a minute, the the other thing that was noteworthy about Ohio State's performance was the defense. The defense played very well again. They allowed uh, Rutgers' first touchdown, but that was really because of a Lucas muff punt that gave the ball to Rutgers, the Ohio State, I think, 18. And Denzel Burke, who's having his troubles, I can, that's, a, that's an issue. He got beat on a fade pattern. Other than that, they gave up a field goal. And, and look, Rutgers is not great. We all know that. But you play any Big Ten team and you hold them to essentially a field goal, that's a pretty good day. Zach Harrison 
who've been kind of quiet, at least visibly this year, had a had a, a strip sack for a fumble for one turnover and uh, tipped a pass and steel chambers uh, intercepted for another. Uh, just de- generally, Ohio State's defense had its way, so that, another encouraging sign. Yeah, I thought they did a good job overall, and granted it's the opponent they're playing, but they didn't allow a ton of big plays. One one passing play of over 15 yards, one rushing play over 10 yards, that was it. And that was that was a little bit of a thing that came up in the first couple of weeks where they were they were allowing explosive plays against Toledo, and, and Jim Knowles has his five explosive plays thing. If you hold them under that, you win. But it didn't really happen against Rutgers. Yeah, Rutgers, Rutgers is – they're who they Dennis Green. They're who we thought they were. <laughs> Rutgers, right? They are who we thought they were. And uh the quarterback was not super impressive. He was okay. Yeah. I'm a third string guy. Yeah. Yeah. And well, he, well, in that case, right, he was probably better than some. He was better than than Wisconsin throughout there, almost seemed like, or just as good. Anyhow. Enough with Rutgers. I'm just wondering now, you know, is is the stage set for for Ryan Day and Mel Tucker to get into it? Next game against Michigan State. You, Tucker, you got you got the big contract. You got the nine mil before I did. He's going to be thrilled with Mel Tucker. He set the bar. Well, Ryan yeah, Day go, over, go got, over there and hug him. Except he got it first. Why did you know? There's a there's a slight. There's a slight uh, there. You just said Greg, Greg Schiano felt slighted not getting the Ohio State job. So, you know, no, works both ways. Works both ways. Well, that's what the headline says. You may want to look, look at the headline on the thing, Bill. You may want to rewrite, have them rewrite that headline on the analysis. That's all I'm going to say. Um, yeah, so Michigan State, lousy. <laughs> that's, that's your in-depth. That's my analysis. <laughs> Michigan State, and I would say my history of doing the Big Ten power rankings, Michigan State and Maryland are kind of the two fraudulent programs, I find. Michigan State's never quite as good uh, as as people think, and Maryland like has all this talent and then disappoints. We'll see if it holds true this year. Well, I think Maryland along with Penn State are the only test Ohio State's really going to have before Michigan. We've talked about this a little bit. I mean, Iowa – uh, at home against Michigan, got beat pretty soundly. Their offense once again didn't didn't show up. Uh, Michigan State is is like you said, you know, proven to be a fraudulent team, kind of like Indiana the year before. You know, they have this kind of uh, supposedly breakthrough season, and, and the year after, it's exposed as being really not not all that. And one thing about Michigan State, I, I would expect our passing game to get back on track. We'll talk about this later in the week. But Michigan State doesn't play that soft shell. They, they'll challenge you. That's their style. And Ohio State kind of adopted that years ago was we'll, we'll put our corners on an island and, and take our chances. Well, if Michigan State does that next week, good luck. Yeah, I want to get back to, to before we look too far ahead, give Joey some props. He wrote the quintessential Mayan Williams story last week. Great timing. And Great then, timing. And then Pork Chop is his nickname, not Joey. His friends really just call him Chop. Yeah, or Pork, Porky, uh, Porky. So, you know, he, he talk about him a little bit, guys. I mean, how is he? Did, Trevion Henderson out? Probably. I'm not. Did we get confirmation whether the injury is the similar or, or related to the one from a couple weeks ago? I'm not sure that they even confirmed he said, that. He said it lingered 
from yeah, yeah. So it's it's something that's lingered and as usual Dave doesn't like to give specifics it's always something or that thing or he's dealing with with that uh but we think he was dealing with a toe injury or a foot injury against Toledo because he came out in a walking boot and that's that and it didn't look like after warm-ups they were ever going to give him a chance to play because he didn't have his helmet on the sidelines and he was wearing Air Jordans. And it was it was the Miami Williams show after that. Yeah, I mean Henderson, what's going on there? I mean, he's 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 been a little injury prone, maybe going back to high school. Maybe if there if there's a knock well, on him, it might play that. high school. I don't think that was an issue in high school, but you know, he got hurt, he got dinged up last year, uh tailed off late in the year. But again, I I never like to kind of label players as injury prone or whatever because you don't really especially Ohio State they don't tell you so I really don't know what he's dealing with and so I never uh, I think I have such respect for players who play the sport at all because it's such a painful sport to play that I I, I don't really cast dispersions on is the guy tough enough or is the guy this or that I just I, I have such respect for anyone who would get out there at all well, injury prone doesn't mean you're not tough. It just means you you get you're injured a lot. That's different. I mean, yeah, he no, hasn't played. He no, hasn't played. Right, right. That's reality. He just right. hasn't played. Yeah, the other side of this equation too is the games he hasn't played. We're we're totally though. I mean, he played the first series, but they held him after after that. I mean, you're playing an overmatched Mac Mac opponent, and then you're playing Rutgers. So I think for a lot of these guys, it's, it seems like the calculus is is to err on the side of caution, considering the opponent. And we didn't even, we didn't even touch on this, but uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba did did not play against uh, the Scarlet Knights. The second straight game he missed, and so that was where he's at. Cam Brown didn't didn't play as well on the, on the secondary side. It seems like as far as Jackson Smith and Jigba, the offense goes, it was a rather they were lucky Maya Williams had a good game because it was otherwise a little bit of a clunker um, for his, for the number – just going off off their standards. I mean, just the the continual explosive plays, those those chunks you didn't really see. And I think it was probably the worst decision that C.J. Stroud made this season as far as throwing in a quadruple coverage. To start, start the second half, second straight week, he's thrown an interception. He had the pick against Wisconsin, but that was a throw where – it was a tight window. He overthrew it. Tough throw, but I think that was more mechanical. This one, this one, it seemed surprising because usually CJ Stroud doesn't make a ton of of bad decisions, but but throwing into four defenders is one of them. Yeah, that was just that was just a force. I mean, he just forced that one, and I'm sure as soon as he threw it, he wanted to take it back. But yeah, that was that was a bad throw. There's no denying that. You know, and but I, some of the stats were skewed a little bit because he threw the ball out of bounds on purpose. He was at least smart enough not to do that again and force things. So there are a lot of times, especially in the red zone, where they roll out and just have nothing and just chuck it in, the, in you know out of bounds. So you know, percentage completion percentage can be a little misleading. You have to really watch the game to understand the situations. But no, it was not one of his better games. It just it just wasn't. Um, I don't think the receivers played particularly well that Julian Fleming was fine, but Marvin Harrison had a quiet game, you know, wasn't wearing the shoes or the watch. So I guess, you know, his magical powers disappear a little bit. Igbuka <laughs> uh, had the one fumble. I think he wasn't there the play where he almost fumbled and they, they were smart and they snapped the ball very quickly. Right. right? So, you know, 
it was not a crisp offensive performance. You know, even when Mayan Williams' third or fourth touchdown, it took them seven snaps inside uh, inside the four to get in. They needed the C.J. Stroud rolled out and ran out of bounds. It was a twelve yard loss. They were bailed out by a defensive holding call. So, you know, clunky is a good word. Some of those goal line sequences were rather odd. I mean, they essentially went into the jumbo package a few times where they brought in Josh Fryer as an extra offensive lineman. <laughs> so you have six offensive linemen. They would have Mitch Rossi in there. Uh, and there were times where, okay, you're running out of the jumbo set, but there were some times where they were, they were passing out of those. And it, it didn't obviously result in a touchdown because it took uh, that drive late in the first half, took seven, seven snaps inside the five to get in there. And the game was just felt like it was two games in one. I thought it was just us in the press box that thought, man, this this game is dragging. But I talked I talked to people who attended the game, and it was like that that seven plays inside the uh, inside the four said it felt like it was like an hour. Just that little that little series there. There were there were timeouts. There were commercials. I mean, I do think college football. Not the tangent here. They gotta get a grasp on on how long these games are, and I, I know they're considering some things with you know incomplete passes, not stopping the clock, and there's there's a move afoot to let the clock run uh, instead of stopping it at first downs. I, I don't know you know if any of that'll happen, but my goodness, these games are late, especially when you get into a night game, and you're talking like four hours or whatever. It's just, it's it's pretty ridiculous. Especially when it's forty-nine to ten, you know, right. a great game. You, you never, you know, you could watch forever, but yeah. forty-nine ten, and it's this wasn't even a Fox game. And a Fox game's notorious for the long commercial breaks. This was a BTN game. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was. Look, forty-nine ten is always going to seem like it's too long, but it did. I mean, I, I think I, I said to you, it's like ten minutes to go in the second quarter. And I said, Rob, is this game is this game going on forever? Uh, no, <laughs> and I think because I think because what's funny is forty nine to ten. I think if it's forty nine to ten and your offense is really balanced and you're making some nice you know throws and it's sort of an exciting offense, it seems to go faster even though the clock moves slower because first downs. I mean, the clock moves when you run the ball, but even with them running the ball, it felt like this thing was going to go till about 2 a.m. Would you have liked to have seen what Syracuse and Wagner did uh, yesterday where they uh, at halftime agreed to 10-minute to quarters in the second? <laughs> really? Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I love running clock. Let's go high school. Right. And the thing high is, Rutgers, Rutgers would run the play clock. I mean, they didn't even like huddle or do anything. It was like basketball team running the four corners as much as possible. They, they ran that, that play clock down almost every play. I mean, they said that I think both teams had fewer than 60 snaps, 59 and 56 or something like that. So it was a long game with not a whole lot of plays. <laughs> it, was, it was just weird. But games, they're always this way. Ohio State record games are always weird. And they tried to do the, the strategy to beat Ohio State, which is milk that clock before the snap and, and let it run down. I mean, this is the second straight – for a second time this season, Ohio State's had plays in the in the fifties. So that was against Arkansas State. That was partly due to Ohio State's own doing, where they were able to just score so quickly. But it was 
they're not really maybe getting the, the number of plays they would like to just, just because some of the opponents are really trying to, to keep, keep uh, their offense off the field. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a little surprised. Let's talk about this just briefly. If we can, I'm a little surprised they didn't move up. They're still number three in the AP rankings. AP rankings don't matter. We're all aware of that. It's not the, it's not the college football playoff committee, selection committee. But I thought maybe with Georgia struggling against Missouri that maybe Ohio State would move to two. Or I thought they might even j- jump to one only because I think people look at – a lot of the voters look at final score. They don't really know what happened. And 49 to 10 is is impressive just on the face of it. And then Alabama, you know, they had – I think they're – they won easily, but they lose their quarterback. So I thought that would factor in. And then Georgia struggled. I mean, Missouri could have lost that game. You kind of always felt Georgia would win it, but it was close. And, you know, Ohio State stays number three. I don't think Ohio State's bothered by this. But what what are your thoughts on the poll? I think Georgia wasn't, Georgia wasn't going to get dinged enough where they were going to fall all the way from one to three, I think is, is sort of how I saw it. Yeah, I watched the Georgia game, uh, you know, while I was riding kind of back and forth, and I kept waiting for Georgia to assert itself and finally did in the fourth quarter. Uh, but they did not look good at all. You know, Alabama's not been the dominant team we thought they would be, and now Bryce Young is, is hurt at least short term with an AC sprain in his shoulder. So I, I wouldn't have been surprised. I mean, I'd have been a little surprised if Ohio State had been number one, but I think they have a stronger case than anybody to be number one. I don't think there's been any team in the country that is just head and shoulders above everyone else. There are three teams at the top. I think we can agree there are three teams. And Clemson now that, you know, they've kind of somewhat gotten their act together. Not four. What's that, dude? SC. Fight on. Yeah. You know, and Michigan did what they had to do at Iowa. Wasn't pretty because I games against Iowa, especially there, are never pretty. But you know, but I think there there's a tier of of the top three. And then probably Clemson and Michigan, and then whatever drop off there is after that. I mean, I'm not sold on anybody beyond those five for sure. Joey, I think he's I think he's sliding your alma mater a little bit there, but maybe not. Maybe not. I, was, I think Joe knows what they are. Yeah, I think they uh, are Oklahoma light, which Lincoln makes Riley, sense. Lincoln, Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma light, not not the not the current oh, of Oklahoma, which is. I guess not very good. I mean, think about this, Ohio State fans. You know, Ohio State doesn't have what some of these teams are now facing. They don't have the extended lows. They don't have the collapses that some programs have. They don't, you know, they might have the the aberrational season or aberrational game, but they don't have the, oh, my God, the program's in the toilet. You know, Oklahoma's just falling off the face of the earth. I mean, look at even with Notre Dame this year. You know, they're not ranked. it, 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 the, the standard at Ohio State is so high that a 49-10 win kind of goes, eh, eh. You know what's interesting about that, Bill? I know John Cooper takes a lot of heat for the 90s about how bad they were at losing big games. But honestly, the closest Ohio State has come in the last, whatever, 40, 50 years are the Earl, Co- or the Earl Bruce 9-3 and three season. Yep. You yep. finished 9-3 today. You're out of a job probably before too long at Ohio State. And he was just nine and three, nine and three, nine and three. Now he beat Michigan, uh, you know, more than he lost to Michigan. 
Um, but the bowl games, you know, I, I, Earl Bruce, and I'm not here to pick on Earl Bruce. I mean, they go to the national championship game, lose to USC the, his first year. So, you know, give him that. But to your point, a bad season for Ohio State or a bad stretch is a string of nine and three seasons, not 500 or worse. Like almost all these programs have hit the skids. If you if you throw 2011 out, the Luke Fickle year, the the, the transitional year, what their last losing season was what 88, 89, I think maybe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, 88. That was Cooper's first year, right? 88. So yeah, I mean. Yeah, they're they are kind of recession proof, you know, and they just are. And what's what's interesting about it now is that they used to be able to just rely on Ohio players as their base. You know, they they could just recruit Ohio and be assured of being a really good team. You can't really do that. Ohio's the talent in Ohio. There's still a lot of it, but it's not what it was. You know, you, you have to go elsewhere to to build your team. And, and obviously it started with Urban Meyer. Well, it started a long time ago, but Urban Meyer accelerated it. Ryan Days continued it. There aren't the, the, the Ohio players are the minority on the team by a long shot. And so you don't have that built-in foundation that you did a generation ago. And yet they still win like that. Yeah, although it's a little misnomer, I, I think you're to, you're right in quantity of players from outside. That's what I mean, quantity. Yeah, because I mean, you know, Tatum, Jack Tatum, John Brockington, some of the some of the all time greats sure. were not Ohio guys. So they right. have Woody, Woody went out of the state. It's not like they just put the wall against o, around Ohio and they only recruited there. But to your point, valid point, they they definitely are looking outside. I mean, they, they went to Hawaii for crying out loud, right? Yeah, they did. They go to Idaho, Tommy Togia, I think it was from Idaho. So they go everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but they, but they, you know, win and win and win. I mean, it really is remarkable how consistent Ohio State's been. That's been, that's been the hallmark of, of the program. And, you know, people think, oh, Ryan Day just picked up where Urban Meyer left off. Well, it's not so easy. I mean, what is he, 30, whatever he is, and four? It's, it's astounding. Who's the most important? Here's one, Joey. You guys chime in. Who's the most important employee in the program? Is it Ryan? Than, is it Ryan than, or is it is it Mark Pantoni? How important is it? Mickey Marotti? Ryan Day. Ryan Day. Ryan Day because you ensure you have the best quarterback uh, yes. every year, and it's the most important. Who's number two? Who's number two? I would probably of, say of anybody. Uh, I'd say Marathi with the, with Pantone being a close third, and Jim Knowles maybe now being fourth. I mean, that's well. I would say C.J. Stroud probably you know right there too. He's, but, not, he's, he's not an employee, Bill. Be careful. That's right. That's right. Not, employee, right? <laughs> not, not yet. I mean, Pantone. I mean, Pantone essentially when he he's the recruiting guy, and when he was hired by Meyer, they have a long association. When he came to Ohio State, it was essentially a one man operation. And, and you know, and it and it is built into this department now. And now with the transfer portal, they've kind of started the whole transfer portal assessment department, or at least in the process of doing that. And so, these college programs are now becoming like NFL programs, and maybe even bigger in terms of their support staff. I mean, it's it's unbelievable how big these support staffs are on these programs, but. But to your point, I mean, it always starts with the top. So you have to say Ryan Day. And if you want to even go beyond that, you say it's Gene Smith. But, but you know, it's Ryan Day. It's Ryan Day. And 
And after that, you could make a case for either Pantone or, or Marotti. I would go with Marotti just because he's hands-on with the players even more than Bay as the strength coach all throughout the year. Uh, but Pantone's the one who really identifies the talent and, and heads up their recruiting operation. And and they do, obviously, an exceptional job of that. We have uh, less, now, less than three minutes on the Zoom counter. So we should, uh, I guess, get our way out of here. Any final thoughts on on Rutgers? What is always a non-competitive Big Ten East game? The good thing about a divisionless Big Ten, yes. I Rutgers won't have to play every year. So. Yeah, you're right, and th- th- I will not miss those games, especially the well, the ones here. I won't miss. I'll miss going to New York. Other than that, nothing to miss. <laughs> New York's not going anywhere. Yeah, well, I don't think so. No. I assume you were going to give like a grand thought on Rutgers. That was just going to. What, what is there a grand, a grand thought about Rutgers? Well, I will say this about Rutgers. They do play hard and they are, they are marginally better than they were a couple of years ago. He is building a program there. It's nowhere near completion. They got a long way to go. They got to find a way to get a quarterback and get some, you know, they, they, it's a long way away. But they're not the embarrassment they were. There were a few years there where they barely looked like a Division One program. And, and I wouldn't say that anymore. Well, listeners, this is how it works during boring games. We were trying to decide and kind of did land on that Greg Schiano may be kind of the most coachy coach, best looking <laughs> in the Big Ten. So, we're going there. Oh. Then, yeah, we are going there because uh, we don't want this podcast to be what the Rutgers game was. We need something toward the end to just kind of some flash, as they say. Better do it fast. Well, you, were right. talking, you were talking about his. He just looks like a football coach. He looks the part. Yeah, he's got the chiseled jaw, the whole thing put together, you know, the, the whole deal. So Rutgers has that going for it. Until until Ohio State plays at Northwestern, then then you'll probably see the, the cutaways to Pat Fitzgerald. And oh, say, yeah. Hmm, he looks like a linebacker, too. So then you could get <laughs> a uh, – maybe if Ohio – maybe if uh, Northwestern and Rutgers ever play and there's a similar sideline outburst, we'll see – Pat Fitzgerald and Greg Schiano go after it, but then there's Wisconsin coach Paul Christ, and we will end on that note. Yeah, you want you want problems, Ohio State fans? You could be Wisconsin losing to losing to the equivalent of I don't even know. I mean, lose to Brett Bielema, the new the new new Wisconsin, Illinois. Yes, I mean the Big Ten West with Minnesota losing. Oh man, ugh. It, it's uh, ugly. Well, that just about does it, Buckeye fans. Ohio State beats Rutgers 49-10 to, to 10 on Saturday. And next up, a first road trip of the season to East Lansing to play Michigan State, which has lost three in a row. Be sure and subscribe to the Buckeye Extra podcast in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on Stitcher.